Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Danny Klinkscale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Insightful and witty commentary, probing interviews, and detours from the beaten path. Welcome to Kansas City Profiles, presented by Easton Roofing, and a wonderful conversation longer than we were expected to have with Mark Gubaza, a longtime Kansas City Royal, very successful in his early years as a pitcher, racked by injuries through much of his career, but he fought through to carve out a long and tremendous career, almost all of it with the Kansas City Royals. Big-time high school star, drafted by the Royals, wanted to be with his hometown team, the Phillies, but got over that quickly, made the major leagues at 21 years of age, and had that successful career. And after just a short period away from the game, got back into coaching and broadcasting, and of course, for years now, has been the color analyst on television for the, well, various permutations of the Angels, be it uh, Anaheim, uh, Los Angeles, California, whatever it is at any particular time. He's very respected in the industry. He's been married since he was 22 years old, now as a grandfather. It's a cool story that he told us on the way to the ballpark where he was getting set for a game. He actually said he had about uh, 25, 30 minutes, and we ended up talking more. So that is your treat right here as our Kansas City profile is Mark Gubaza, and it comes your way next, presented by Easton Roofing. More of Danny's Reasonably Irreverent podcast after this. Hello, Kansas City. Joe Spiker, owner of Easton Roofing here. There's a lot of noise about supply chain problems and inflation in the news. Unfortunately, it's true. There's no better time than right now to re-roof your house. Don't wait. Prices are expected to rise rapidly this year. By 2023, we expect the price of materials to double since 2021. If you call now, we can lock in pricing and save you a bundle. Call Easton Roofing for a free re-roof estimate. 913-257-5426. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Welcome to a fantastic way to make a great improvement in your lifestyle. Expert, caring, and relaxing massage therapy from Nina Bryant and Healing Frequency Massage. Nina brings a medical background and a passionate zeal for healing and creating a wonderfully calming and relaxing experience. If you have chronic aches and pains, anxieties from the stresses of the modern world, or you're just plain seeking to feel better, Healing Frequency Massage can do for you what it does for me. I've always enjoyed an occasional massage, but was never overly fired up about it. That has all changed. Nina's caring and exacting approach will make you want to stay on the table forever. She will craft a plan tailor-made for you, all you have to do is reach out at healingfrequencymassage at gmail.com or call 816-988-1654. That's healingfrequencymassage.com or 816-988-1654. Why wait? Weather extremes are the rule, not the exception these days, and that means you need a trusted ally in dealing with your home's heating and cooling needs. That's why you should trust your HVAC needs to my friends at Dillon's Heating and Cooling. Jeff Dillon and his experienced and dedicated crew take pride in treating you like family. Honesty, integrity, and expertise are their calling card, and great value is as well. Right now, Dillon's offers you whole home bypass humidifiers for $100 off, normally $549, now only $449 installed. Also right now, they offer an inline water filter for the humidifier for an additional $75, as well as a low, low $69 heating tune-up. The comfort of your home is a vital part of the quality of your life, and Dillon's is there for you every step of the way. Get more details and information at Dillon'sHeatingAndCooling.com or call them at 913-214-1343. That's Dillon'sHeatingAndCooling.com, 913-214-1343. As the slogan says, they'll treat you like family. If you'd like to join these and other great sponsors and market your business to a growing and engaged audience, contact us at Danny at DannyClinkScale.com. Look forward to hearing from you.
Mark, you grew up in Philadelphia, born in Philadelphia, raised in that particular area. What was it like as a child of the 60s in the early part of your life, five, six, seven years old in Philadelphia? Oh, you know, it was a lot of fun, uh, you know, living in a row home with three older brothers. And, you know, you constantly have, a you know, an opportunity to play some kind of game, whether it's stick ball, wiffle ball, basketball, football, hockey, street hockey. Uh, and then and then having a bunch of buddies all live right there close to each other. We we always had a good time. You know, I you know, those days were fun for me because, you know, my mom and dad, you know, my dad was working and my mom being at home, she just say, hey, just make sure you're home for dinner or make sure you're you know, obviously that's summertime. But uh, school days, as soon as you come up from school, go down do the same stuff. So I think that really helped me help develop me on all the sports I played because I was able to play do something like every single day with a bunch of buddies and my brothers. Tell me about your mom and dad. Uh, my, my, my dad, he actually, believe it or not, was a, uh, you know, he played in the minor leagues when he was younger with the Chicago White Sox in like 50-51. Uh, you know, they met, my mom and dad met each other at high school, Roxborough High School, Roxborough area. And uh, then my dad, after he was done playing, he didn't really talk, talk a lot about his playing career, uh, hardly ever. But uh, then Mailman for 35 years, uh, coached Little League Baseball, uh, and then he eventually coached over high school baseball over at Penn Charter when I was there, and, and uh, you know, then coached, you know, ninth and 10th grade football and basketball over there, too. So he was constantly over there working and coaching, and, and then he eventually ended up being a pitching coach for Villanova, and he, uh, one cool thing about that, at that point, Villanova, I don't know if they've won since, but that's year he was or two years he was there as a pitching coach they actually won the big east conference which is the first time they had ever won and i know mo vaughn and john valentin came up to me when you know i saw them with the red sox and they go you know with a last name like mine they got they're like you got to have uh that's got to be somewhat related to it. So, oh yeah it's my dad he goes oh he was a great person so i constantly get in contact i saw somebody out in kansas city just the other day that uh over there going over when he was there so it's like a, a connection i know he's been gone for a long long time that uh it's still a connection that i feel that he's still around here so uh it's, my mom uh her brother was uh one of the most decorated cia agents was killed over in beirut back in 1983 one of those original you know bombing attacks on a building over there um, you know actually there's a book written about him called the good spy and I just found out they're actually going to be doing a movie about him because he actually worked under, you know, JFK, uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan. And he was only 48 when he was killed. So pretty cool. You know, we, we none of us knew it at all. He also played for LaSalle College and won when they won the national championship when, when Bob Lola was there as their, one of their big star basketball players. So pretty cool to find out all that a lot of that stuff found out for cia stuff afterwards and i still take stay connected with you know my aunt is is, is you know his wife uh, you know still to this day and, and a lot of my cousins too so you know my uncle bob robert Ames, his name was so yeah pretty cool little connections over the years seemed like you uh, became a good ball player pretty fast uh, it's, i see this note here in little league you played shortstop and in one 17-game stretch, you had 57 hits. That would be more than three a game. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it was, <laughs> it was pretty – it was fun, though, because the crazy thing about that was, uh, you know, because being – you know, my my three older brothers were not tall, yet I was pretty tall. So everyone's always thinking, well, I was, you know, was I, you know, messing around with my birth certificate or something to play in there. So it was always kind of funny. That, like, my parents were always wondering how old I really was and all this stuff. It was right. hilarious. But, uh, uh, you know what? I, I love to swing the bat. I love playing shortstop. I pitched also, but I love hitting the ball probably more than pitching, even though that's where I ended up being in, in, in my professional career. But I loved hitting. And yeah, I know some people still say that was, might have been a record back in those days. But, uh, no, I just love hitting. That's for sure. So when did you feel like uh, this might become something? Uh, obviously, you're a star Little League player, but uh, that's got to develop even more. And you went to uh, uh, William Penn Charter School. There was uh, another professional, former future professional baseball player there. And, but when did you feel like you were coming into your own? Uh, you know what? That's a good question, Andy. I, I, that's the only thing I've 
ever thought of my whole life. I know a lot of, especially guys growing up in, in my neighborhood, wanted to be policemen or firemen or, or anything else like that. But uh, the only ever thing I ever thought about was baseball. And it was, you know, I, it's easier to say that now because I, I got lucked out into it and actually played it. But it's all, you know, from throwing a baseball off the, you know, the telephone wires in front of my house and reacting it and catching it before it hit the or throwing it off the, you know, the front of the well, it's all I ever thought about doing. Obviously, during the winter times, it's more difficult to throw a baseball around back in Philly, but that's, you know, all I thought about. And then, you know, going to Penn, you know, my freshman year, you, you couldn't make the varsity, so I wasn't on the team. I was on the JV. I saw a number of the players, and I said, yeah, I think I can compete there. And, uh, you know, by my junior year, after my junior year in high school, I was a a uh, an all-star team for American Legion. We were playing the East versus West. And on our team, we had, you know, Robbie Wine, who's Bobby Wine's son with, with the Phillies. Um, Steve Bono ended up being a great quarterback over mm-hmm. the years in the NFL. He was on our team. And David Amaro, he was on our team. Ruben Amaro's brother and, and Ruben Amaro's senior son. And Jamie Moyer was on there. Um, you know, so they were all, all the scouts, believe it or not, were all looking at those guys. And that was our East, Eastern part of Pennsylvania. We were taking on you know, Western part of Pennsylvania stars too, which they always had a lot of really good players out in Western Pennsylvania, whether it's football players, especially quarterbacks or baseball players. So, you know, when they're scouting those guys and all of a sudden, you know, I was doing well and they're like, I, all of a sudden I got on their radar. So then my senior year at Penn Charter, you know, for the first game I threw, all of a sudden I see all of these guys, you know, with radar guns and everything, every time I would lift my arm up there, like pointing it at us. So like, oh wow, this is crazy. So then you, you know, you, you understand and, and hear who's there. Whether it's the Atlanta Braves were there, I know that, you know, a number of different teams. I, I didn't know Kansas City was even interested in. Me. I was always I was hoping for was at that point to be drafted by the Phillies. I know the Phillies had just won the World Series against Kansas City, and I was at Game Six with my dad. Mm-hmm. The only game I ever went to in my whole life with my dad was at game six and they, we got tickets from Ruben Amaro senior because he was the first base coach. So we were right behind the dugout. And that was just an incredible experience to be with my dad. And lo and behold, six, seven months later, I'm drafted, you know, by the Royals, which was hilarious because I was like screaming and saying bad words about everybody on the Royals and saying Mike Schmidt's way better than George Brett and all that <laughs> stuff. And next thing you know, I'm living with George Brett two years later. It's pretty funny. You uh, you had a, you thought you had a chance to be a first round draft choice, and uh, you were picked very early in the second round, so it wasn't like you fell fell. But uh, was there some kind of disappointment at at that point? Yes, a major. Uh, I know there was going to be a, a, you know obviously there were going to be a, a later round, but uh, you know they pick in the first round because they were the world champions. So you know I was like, okay, the twenty eighth pick would have been the Phillies or whatever and the 27th the Royals but then uh, you know I don't get picked by you know the Phillies and I was bumming you know in that, in that first round so then you hear I, I was up playing stickball and everything with, with my buddies and my you know my dad came driving by they had that compensation pick because Daryl Porter left the Royals and signed with the Cardinals so they had a pick right. in between you know their first round their I mean and their second round pick so my dad came driving up, and he had this distinctive-sounding car, so I knew he was coming up, and I was wondering why he was coming up or playing stickball, but he goes, hey, son, come here. I'm like, yeah, Dad? He goes, you got drafted by the Royals, and I was like, I was like, Mom, initially because, you know, like they just played the Phillies in the World Series, and, and I wanted to be a Philly with all my might. And my dad immediately says, son, do you realize the Royals win every year? I go, yeah, that's true. Pretty good organization to be drafted by. So that, as soon as, as soon as he said it in that words, I was completely cool being drafted by the Royals. And all I could think about was getting down the camp and, and getting going. Because David Cohn, who ended up being one of my best friends, was drafted like right next to me in the, in the draft pick. So we became friends, and to this day we're still friends. You uh, you could, as everybody could at that point in time, if they uh, had any kind of grade. I mean, obviously you could have gone to, to college baseball. You're a compensation pick. Uh, you, you probably, if you got went to college, you would have gone to Duke, which certainly is a great opportunity. And, you know, it was a lot. College was expensive and bonuses weren't as great. Uh, were you almost for sure going to be a pro? 
Uh, you know, that's that's the thing, because John Shiro at that point, who ends up, he's in the Hall of Fame now, and if he ended up being our GM in Kansas City and then eventually on Atlanta, where he had both places had so much success, he was the head of our farm system at that point. So he's, he came to my house, and here I am with my dad and my mom. Uh, I, I had verbally committed to Duke at that point, although I loved Georgia, I loved Alabama. When I went there, I went to Ohio State as far as my visits. But I said, I said, I'm going to Duke University. I mean, I met Coach K there, and it was just something about Duke. The campus was close enough for my parents to drive there, go see me play. Uh, but then John Shirles was there, and this was, he made an offer. And my dad looked at me and goes, son, you, you make the decision. And, uh, you know, they guided me. I think my dad was kind of leaning and let, let me do what I want to do. Obviously, he had experience playing minor league ball, but it wasn't a great experience for him. My mom was adamant about me going to college she wanted me to go especially going to duke university and they drove with me to that campus and it was uh, absolutely amazing i mean their baseball program was pretty good but it wasn't you know at that point like georgia and, and alabama but uh i mean it was a really good program and they had some connection with people from philly going down to duke including david amaro uh so you know i sat there and i you know I sat by myself my mom and dad were, you know, just sitting a little bit away from me. John Shirles was there. And then all of a sudden I got up and said, uh, Mr. Shirholz, uh, I want to play for the Royals. And he goes, boom, all right, let's get this thing done. And my, my dad was like, he shook my hand and gave me a hug. My mom was gave me a hug, but she was crying because she wanted me to go to Duke so bad. But uh, in, my mind was I was going to give this a four-year shot. If it didn't work out, I, I promised my mom and my dad that I would go to school. And to get a degree, because not you know only my older brother at that point had done that, so I made that promise. But uh, you know, then it's, you know, here I am. I signed that contract. And, you know, like a week later, here I, I go down to spring training and you know, go down to rookie ball in Florida. You didn't have to spend a heck of a lot of time in the minor leagues. You just went uh, bang, bang, bang three years, and uh, then you would be up uh, early on at age 21. But uh, that minor league, what was the adjustment like uh, headed to the minor leagues, even though you had success? Yeah, you know, that that's that was one of the things. And I told this story to a number of different people, and they were like, oh, really? I said, the minute I got down there, we were staying at the baseball academy in, in Sarasota. And I was in a, at that point literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I'm thinking, I'm saying it almost like a dorm type, and that's where Frank White went to, UL Washington. So it was almost like a school dorm. And uh, so we're all in there, we're eating at, you know, certain times of the day. Uh, and I was, like, immediately incredibly homesick. So I had, like, 16, 17 buddies we hang out at the schoolyard every single day of our lives. And here I am, you know, away from home, and all I could think of is I didn't care if I got hurt and, and I never played again. I would be able to go home. I was that, that homesick for the first probably week to 10 days. And that's when, you know, David Cohn and I and another pitcher named Tony Ferrer, we were all drafted all consecutively. We were known as the three musketeers because we were always together, always having fun. Even though we had no car, you know, the closest thing to us was a 7-Eleven, about a two-mile walk. So we were stuck in there. But we became... Friends, it was a couple little lakes out there. We could do a little fishing and all that stuff. And lo and behold, I'm like, you know what? I really like what I'm doing. And I, you know, it turned out really good. Our team was really good, and, and I, I pitched pretty well. And then that next year or that winter, we went to instructional ball in Sarasota. But this time, we got to rent a condo right on the beach in Siesta Key Beach in Sarasota, which I still to this day think it's the most beautiful beach and area I've ever been. So at that point, I'm like, you know what? I don't care if I ever go home. I'm having <laughs> fun. And, um, you know, the next year, I'm in Fort Myers, Florida, which was a pretty nice area. We were all living together. There's three of us there. And then we had another pitcher named Mike Olson, who was actually one of the guys who was almost made the 1980 Olympic hockey team that ended up you know, being the Miracle on Ice team. He was from Minnesota. And uh, so we were always talking that stuff, but he signed a, a contract just like we did the year before. So we're all together in, in Fort Myers, and I hurt my shoulder. And, you know, and I only pitched about, I want to say, maybe eight to ten games that year. And then uh, and there was a lot of concern about having a tear on my rotator cuff, so I got a, 
I remember being at the doctor's and they're going to give me a cortisone shot. And I remember my dad saying, whatever you do, don't let them give me a cortisone shot. So I said, well, dad, it's already in my arm. <laughs> I'm getting it done. He goes, all right, you know, this is what it is. So now was shut down. So I really didn't pitch a whole lot in the high A ball team there in Fort Myers. Went to instructional ball and that, that, they were trying to transition me into a closer. So I was, you know, having fun closing games, going one or two innings, throwing like pretty hard because I didn't have to, you know, save anything up as far as you know pitches velocity and then the next year made the jump still somehow made the jump to double a and then really everything clicked there and i put it all together made the all-star team there in, in, in southern lake which was a very difficult leg because you go from we were in fort myers where you played all the major league fields you had in spring training to you know, my first bus trip was 16 hours from Jacksonville to Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm like, wow, this is hard. But uh, made that all-star team. And Jimmy Key was on our team. Mark Langston was on our team. Uh, you know, Danny Tartable, Dave Valley. It was all, all these really Alvin Davis. I mean, you're talking about major prospects all and, and putting it all together and winning a bunch of games, pitching a lot of innings and, and our manager at that point was Gene Lamont, who ended up being a very successful mm-hmm. major league manager for the Pirates, you know, the White Sox and other teams and coaches forever. So, like, there was some guys moving up and down and trip, going up to AAA. And I'll never forget this. I told this story to somebody just the other day when we were in Kansas City that uh, he came up to me and goes, how do you feel about such and such guy and this guy getting called up to AAA and you're still here? Because I think he was just trying to see my reaction. So I go... Well, you know, my numbers are pretty good. And he, they, he looked right at me and goes, I don't want to hear you ever complain because don't worry about where you're at this year because you never know where you're going to be next year. So, like, it, I, immediately I was thinking I was pretty mad that I wasn't going up. Then I thought, what does he mean by that? So, you know, the season's over. You know, I get invited to my first, you know, real big league camp. The year before, you know, I got there and I had number 59, which – and you sat in this one area in the locker room, which you knew you had no chance. You were just there to throw batting practice. So that year after double A, I get my number 23, and I'm in, the, in a row where I'm right by, like, Dennis Lenners and Paul Splitorf and all the guys that are on the team. I'm like, uh-oh, what is going on here? So lo and behold, I had a good spring training, and I make big leagues love right out of camp. And, uh, you know, that, that's so Gene Lamont actually smiling because that's why you didn't need to worry about it because – you didn't need to go to AAA, like a lot of people. You were, you were ready. Saber Hagen, myself, Danny Jackson, who had a little bit of time at AAA, were all thrown in the rotation right away as youngsters. Danny was 22, I'm 21, and Sage was 20. And lo and behold, we became the Braves before the Braves when they had Smoltz and Maddox <laughs> and Blavin, all those guys. And Sherholtz was the mastermind of that. both of these poor young pitchers that they felt they could take a shot and not worry about not not even the physical part, but the mental part and the challenges of being able to pitch and be successful at such a young age, dealing with ups and downs as a major league player. 1985, you have an outstanding rotation, which was a, a mix of young guys and a couple of veterans. So it was a five-man rotation. You're the fifth starter, had a good year, uh, had two very successful uh, relief stints in the playoffs and then the Royals make the World Series, but you're not selected to play in the World Series. Was that hard to take? Of course, you didn't know that you'd never play in the postseason again, but uh, despite all that success, were you young enough that it, it didn't sting, or did it? Well, you know, being, I came in relief in that game one through well against Toronto. That, that team was stacked. I thought they were the best team I had seen in forever, really, especially when you look at their outfield, the Bell, Barfield, and Mosby. Uh, so then I start game six, it was funny because I was out of the bullpen, and then we win game five. That's when George Brett had that great game right. against, against Doyle Alexander. So sitting there in the locker room, and Dick Hauser, Mr. Hauser, calls, calls me into his office. He goes, hey, you're starting game six. I'm like, whoa. So, all right, so I walked out there, you know, like I'm in, like, shock. I'm about to swallow my, my, my heart. And George Brett came up and he goes, hey, two things happened on that game six. Either we, get, we, either we play game seven or we go golfing the next day. Either way, we're going to be fun. So that helped me relax right away when George Brett tells you that. So then I call my, my dad, and he goes, I'm coming to Toronto. I'm like, all right. So they, they fly, my dad, my, uh, my uncle, and my, one of my Legion ball coaches with my dad 
fly up to Toronto. They're staying in my room. They're all snoring. They're all loud. And I get a pitch game six with the season on the line. And uh, I'll never forget thinking, I remember what Tom Seaver told me, I talked to him in 84 about, you know, a lot of different things. First, it started with the knee pad I used to put underneath my uniform because I used to bang my knee just like him. And that's why he said he never missed any time. And I eventually did that. And I never had a knee problem after I talked to him. He says, but the most important thing for a starting pitcher is not how much sleep you get the day before your game. It's the day before the day before. In other words, you're going to play out the whole thing in your mind the game the night before. So you're never going to get a good night's sleep. So he said, if you get a good night's sleep the day before, you're going to be fine. So even though my dad and my, my uncle, my, my legion ball coach are snoring as loud as could be, I'm up all night. I was still feeling great going out there the next day and then pitched well and won the game and never remember being so excited with my dad and they, you know, how they thought it was the coolest thing ever. And George Brett high-fiving me saying, way to go. We got a shot now in game seven. We come back and win game seven, and, and then you know, here we are going to the World Series against the Cardinals. And, you know, that team right there at that point, the Cardinals were built around speed and a lot of left-handed bats. So they were trying the best they could. We get as many lefties in there. So go saves, Danny Jackson, Charlie Lee Breton, and then went with Bud Black. That way you can use the lefty to completely stop the running game. So I understood that. So I was down in the bullpen. I, I warmed up. The one game when Bud Black pitched, I almost got in, but they put in Joe Beckwith instead. And but Steve Farr was also down the bullpen. He won a game in Toronto, and he didn't get in. So, you know, when I'm sitting down there, yeah, you want to get in the game, but you're not even thinking about anything right. other than I want to be part of this team and win in a World Series. And it was it was so cool because, you know, we were down by seven or eight games at the, around the All-Star break and had a five-game series against the Yankees that year, and we got blown away. So just to be able to make the playoffs. We only won the division by one game that year right. against the Angels. And then being down 3-1 to one in Toronto and being down 3-1 to one against the Cardinals, the only team ever still to this day to do what we did. Not even think other than this is the coolest team I've ever been around in my life. You had great success over the next few years, a couple all-star selections, just a mainstay. You're still a very young guy. But at a pretty young age, after that great success through the late 80s, uh, you started to develop arm trouble. Do you feel like, and and you would pitch for quite a while, but maybe never the same, do you feel like in a different day, a different time, it might have been different to, with better medicine, medical procedures and things like that? Um, yeah, that's that's another good question. Uh, I look back at that often, I'm thinking, because you know, I see the way you know players are today and how, you know, if – you know, if your arm doesn't feel good, you know, you'll take a step back and take a breather and, and, and do all the therapy and, and, and rehab you need to do to sustain the stuff you have. But the culture with me, even when I grew up and, and, and the guys in the dug in the clubhouse dugout, it's like, hey, you're playing no matter what. So I kept thinking, you know what, I don't care if my arm's going to fall off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out there because I always to my teammates, the organization, fans in Kansas City would always like, incredible they were incredible with when i was just out there recently uh, and they gave me a standing ovation which just made me almost cry because it was so cool i mean it's been 26 years since i pitched there but uh in my mind though i look back go could i have been a little smarter i guess would be the proper way to say it and, and maybe taken a step back and, and done some things to make sure my arm was strong all the way through or do what i did and, I'm, and i thought you know what i'm glad i did what i did because i did and I played exactly the way I wanted to play for my teammates. And that was go out there and, and perform the best I could, no matter what the scenario was. And whenever I was done playing, I was still a lot farther than I thought I'd ever play. I never thought I would ever make the big leagues, let alone play as long as I did. So I was I was comfortable reflecting and saying, you know what, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing at all. More of Danny's Reasonably Irreverent podcast after this. Attention Kansas City business owners. Do you have a business that has a leaky flat roof? Are you tired of swapping out wet ceiling tiles? Are you tired of paying for roofing service calls every time it rains? Let Easton Roofing's local commercial roofing experts get you back to business faster. We give business owners the same customer service bear hug we give our homeowners. So stop those leaks before they turn into big, expensive problems with a free roof inspection. EastonRoofing.com, 913-257-5426. Integrity matters. 
Let's take a little time to make you feel better, maybe a whole lot better. Danny here to tell you that is certainly the case for me since I started seeing Dr. Brad Woodle and his talented team at Advanced Sports and Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture. With locations all around the metro area, you can easily find an office that is very convenient for you. I have benefited greatly from regular adjustments, acupuncture, decompression table, and cold laser, and my back is 100% better. In a welcoming and enjoyable environment, Advanced Sports and Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture gives you relief from pain that manifests itself in many ways. It's not just your back that can be the focus. For instance, research shows that spinal manipulation therapy, SMT, a centerpiece of chiropractic care, can be considered an effective treatment for tension headaches. And SMT provides superior relief for pain intensity, frequency, and disability when compared with other therapies. That's just another example of the wide range of services at ASFCA to improve your well-being and quality of life. Find out much, much more at asfca.com Danny and start feeling better soon. Danny here to dish, as it were, on the 23rd Street Brewery in Lawrence. A recent lunch with my friend Matt Llewellyn, the owner, just provided a reminder of what a great spot it is to visit when you are in Lawrence. I was on the go, so just had time for a simple salad and pretzel, and that was absolutely delicious. My wife had a more elaborate avocado salad with salmon on a separate visit, and she just raved about it. The 23rd Street Brewery can be that varied with a great menu that rises far above standard bar fare. And of course, they also provide great atmosphere and brew their fantastic beers. It's a fabulous place to catch a game with a great array of TVs that are constantly updated. Matt and his friendly staff go out of their way to make your experience special. Fine food with a huge menu, great beers, and a great spot for fun with friends. The 23rd Street Brewery has it all. Make sure you do what I do and grab a growler or two to take home. The 23rd Street Brewery at 23rd and Castled in Lawrence. See you there. It's time to tell you about a great opportunity to improve your retirement outlook by using the outstanding services of 401k USA. What the experts at 401k USA bring to you is an overlay of your current 401k plan that manages it in a far more proactive and responsive way. Too many retirement plans can be restrictive, but 401k USA brings far more flexibility to your plan to capitalize on opportunities and avoid downturns. It's simple and easy to find out much more about all the details on taking a close look at what the friendly experts at 401k USA can do for you. You can create more retirement wealth and a richer lifestyle by visiting 401kusa.org today or by texting to 816-844-6236. That's 401kusa.org or text to 816-844-6236 to find out much more. If you'd like to join these and other great sponsors and market your business to a growing and engaged audience, contact us at danny at dannyclinkscale.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Your next to last season with the Royals, you pitched a lot. Uh, you didn't get very good run support, and you pitched uh, pretty well, as a matter of fact. And then the last year, uh, injury problems again. And then uh, toward, this, toward the end of your career now, you get traded. Uh, you know, these days, players hardly ever play for the same organization, but you had. How difficult was that at that point in time to get traded to the Angels? Yeah, that's that was a tough one because, it, you know, there was two things in my in my favor now. I was a 10-5 guy, in other words, 10 years with the same club five years, you know, mm-hmm. the veteran. So I could have turned down that deal. Uh, there was a, there was a deal in place for me if I wanted to accept it just before I got my leg broken by a line drive by Paul Molitor in 96, right, right in July there. And I told my general manager, he called me that day. I said, well, can I at least make it through this game first and pitch? And then lo and behold, that's when I got my leg broken. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, you know, that, that hurts when, you know, club you know because my name was out there from the first year on and i remember john shareholds at that point the gm said whenever you hear your name and rumors that means you're not going anywhere when you don't hear your name that means you're getting traded so i thought that was that i mean it's interesting and i tell that to people now and it's 100 percent true you can you always hear your name out there but that doesn't mean that ever going to happen so you know obviously get my cast i had a cast on for 12 weeks it broke my leg pretty good the line drive by molitor so then they called back. Herc Robinson's GM called back again, just before the start of the playoffs, and said, "Hey, would you accept a trade to the at that point California Angels?" And I said, uh, "Yeah," because you know I was living out there. Uh, my my oldest daughter was going to school kindergarten, then, so they 
I used to see all those guys over the years when they would live, you know, played in a city, but their family lived in another city. I, I saw how hard that was on, on everybody, the, the player, the family, the kids. I said, you know what? Something, some upper, you know, something out there was telling me to accept it. So as hard as it was to leave KC, uh, you know, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give it a run with the Angels. It was our rival for years with the Angels, with the mm-hmm. Royals. So it was kind of, I knew the guys, I knew the stadium. You know, I live, you know, 45 minutes away from the stadium. So I think, you know what, if I'm going to be traded and I'm going to accept the trade, there, there's no other place I would rather be than with with the Angels. And, uh, you know, actually, at, even though I didn't pitch well for them, and it, it's still to this day, I, it's my one regret in my career that I didn't pitch well for them because I tried everything I could. You know, I was pitching just really basically got my cast off my leg and I'm throwing for those guys and worked out great all winter long and spring training. I'm throwing as good as I had ever thrown in a long, long time. And we were doing a running drill. And one of the guys, you know, I got to know we were messing around. He stops in front of me and I slipped. And then I, you know, tried to, you know, balance or land the right way. And I put my right arm down and, and boom, it popped the shoulder out. And that was wow. I tore one of the two ligaments in my shoulder. I kept trying to go through that one too, but I went from throwing say 91, 92, you know, first day of spring camp. And the next time I'm throwing like 73, 74. And I knew something was bad at that point. So I'm like, man, I got to do whatever it takes to try to perform for him. I went in and had surgery by the late great uh, Dr. Yoakum. And uh, he said, boy, I, looking at the MRI, there's, it's, not great. You, uh, we might try some different type of surgeries on it. You're willing to do that. So I'm willing to do anything that can get me back out there because I owe it to the organization to pitch. So we did it, and I was throwing. You know, you have I had surgery, say, like in May, and I'm already trying to pitch by August, which most people never even try when you have surgery on your shoulder. Right. It's usually anywhere between nine months and 12 months, but I'm throwing. And I felt incredibly good throwing flat ground but then the first pitch i threw on the incline in the mound it felt like somebody put a you know one of those ice pick knives right through the back of my shoulder and i was like oh and so they go a rehab assignment in rancho cucamonga and i remember just these all these young players a ball players were just turning on everything and crushing everything i threw i knew in my mind i'm like this is it i don't i don't think i could do it especially after my last game on the mound i already had the mindset that I thought I was done because I remember seeing Garrett Anderson. I walked off the field in Cleveland and uh, said, he looked at me and he nodded his head and I nodded my head almost like, I know I'm done. And, you know, because many players have told, told me as a pitcher, the hitters will let you know when you're done. At that mm-hmm. point in my mind, I said, yeah, I'm done. Said, I'm going to exhaust everything I can physically and mentally to play. But when a hitters are just, hitting every one of your pitches and that means it's you're 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 done right tell me uh, you know you came up to the major leagues you're 21 years old that's a lot of fun through the years you mentioned your daughter tell me the the story of being a single guy and then not being a single guy as a major league baseball player yeah i mean it was funny because george Brett always tells a story like because when i live with him say Sabre and i both lived with george the first few weeks of, the, of our careers in, in 84 and he eventually found us a really nice condo for us to live there in the country club plaza area of Kansas city. But, uh, you know, he'd say all the jokes like says was having fun and doing all this stuff. And, and he says, all I could see here is Mark doing push-ups and sit-ups up in the room. And, and I would go downstairs. I said, Mr. Breck, can I use your phone? And he goes, come on, man, this, whenever you need the phone, use it. Or can I, uh, can I get a glass of water or any, any of these things? I was trying to be as respectful as possible. So my, my drive was, I wasn't going to miss this opportunity. I didn't go crazy on, you know, going out at night and all the other stuff. I was just driven to do something. I thought that nobody ever, not a whole lot of people did from the area I grew up in, yeah, especially in the environment I grew up in. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something. that's going to be pretty spectacular. And that just means pitching the big legs. and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it for a long time if I can. And I wasn't going to be able to do that if I went crazy. And, you know, so I was just focused. So nothing really, you know, <laughs> out there where I put myself in a bad position. And, you know, I met my wife at the end of that year, a would-be wife, at Saberhagen's first wife's weddings. And I met her, and I was like, the old thing, and I met her at a wedding, and it was actually true. And uh, we were we, we met, and I still remember, it's all, uh, September 14, 1984. I got engaged September 14, 1985, and then we got married in, in November of 1986. So uh, it was probably the best thing 
that I did besides the fact we're best buds and we have three kids together, but it kept me from being that person that everyone thought, you know, why aren't you going out here? Why aren't you doing this and all that stuff? So then, then I can be focused on just being a, you know, a great husband as much as I can and being a, the best baseball player I could be. There were a lot of disappointed girls out there, Mark, weren't they? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I had some friends, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't crazy about, I mean, I wasn't crazy because like I said, I just didn't right. want to uh, ever put myself in a position where, uh, you know, I didn't really go out with a whole lot of people even when I was growing up in Philly. Cause like, again, I was, I was so focused on school and everything like right. that and, and, and forming all the sports at that point, even at Penn Charter, I, the first two years I played football, but I loved basketball. I actually love basketball better than I love baseball. But um, you know, it, you know, you just didn't have enough time. I didn't have any, Bottom line is, I always said I didn't have any. You know, I know I got. I never went to any proms. I didn't go to my own. It was an all boys school, but we had, you know, we had proms. And I was, I know I was asked a couple times, but I, you know, I, I didn't really even answer the phone because I didn't have any. I didn't have a driver's license until I was actually drafted. You know, when I was drafted, I actually bought a car before I even had a driver's license because I walked everywhere. You know, my dad said if you want to drive, you got to be able to pay for your auto insurance in which that was about like $2,300 a year. And I had like three cents to my name. So I never drove, <laughs> didn't have a drive. And I didn't have any, like, you know, I had hand-me-down clothes and all this other stuff. So I never went to any, any problems and things like that. I mean, I always, the high school I went to was an incredibly nice high school. I tried to run away from home when my dad said, we're, we're going to send you to Penn charter because I mean, this school is like, you know, it's a top end school in the, in the country. And it's fairly expensive, and we didn't have the money to do it. So, kind of, my dad ended up working there. That's why I mean, coaching all the teams and stuff. So, I said, I'm not going here, Dad. I can't. I won't fit in. He goes, All right. I said, What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to run away. So he brought me a suitcase down, and from his closet in his in his bedroom, and I packed my clothes, walked about a block, and I said, Well, I got nowhere to go. So I must well go to the high school there, and it turned out to be the best thing for me because I met. A a lot of people and they were really nice to me. I'm thinking they're not going to be nice to me because I, you know, they're driving, you know, cars at 16. They got, you know, shirts with a collar. I never had a shirt with a collar my whole life. I'm, I'm you know, so I got t-shirts and sneakers and, and jeans. We call dungarees or painter pants that my brothers had. So they were always a little bit shorter than me because I was taller than them. So it was all those, but you know, it made me who I am today. It made me appreciate everything that, you know, somehow, some way that God has given me. So, why i've always been so respected to people and and just any kind of thing that goes well in your, in your life or doesn't go well you just kind of push forward so that's why you know i go back to when i traded to the angels and what would happen if you said no and, and maybe you would have stayed healthy maybe to pitch more i go well then i won't be in the position i am right now yes, right like going to the angels i want you know who knows what i if i would ever had this opportunity and they were great to me and they had no business being great to me because i didn't do anything for them on, on the mound but they they saw something in me and uh you know lo and behold you know i started doing this business for a, you know, a while ago and and um you know i feel as much part of the organizations now than as if i was a player what was the transition like however it did you would eventually i mean you've been with the angels a long time as a broadcaster and, and started broadcasting uh, in other entities around 2000 but there's a few years lag in there was that a difficult transition you knew you couldn't play baseball but uh, what what was that like yeah it was it was it was odd you know my first year out of it so probably about you know 98 or 99 i think it was so i was like uh what am i gonna do now and so then you know, it's like, ah, let me think about maybe helping some kids out, coaching here and there. It's an, a guy, a former major league player named Brett Barbary, got in contact with me, asked me if, you, if I wanted to help coach a travel ball team. I said, sure. So that was kind of fun. I started giving a few lessons. But, uh, you know, I, and then I started feeling weird. I didn't want anybody ever to pay me for that stuff. So I, it felt weird to, you know, help give back to somebody and they were giving you money. So I like, I, I can't do that. I'll, I'll, I'll just coach with you there. So, we, so I did that. And then, you know, lo and behold, a couple of the kids that were coaching the travel ball team were going into Chaminade High School. And uh, their, their coach at that point, they would let him go. And then they, they, a couple of the parents said, hey, would you be willing to you know, be the head coach there for the baseball high school team? I said, wow. You know, I, I mean, it's a, it's a big commitment and all this stuff. And 
And in, in the process of doing that, I get a couple calls from Fox Sports and even ESPN called me about doing an audition for their Baseball Tonight show while I was I was on vacation. I couldn't make it, so they were like, oh, never mind then. But Fox Sports Net did, and I went and did an audition for a uh, show called Baseball Today, and it was fun. Doing, I was with Steve Sachs and, and Ron Darling, and I both got our start together. And, uh, you know, obviously it turned out really well for Ronnie, too. But, uh, you know, here I am, then all of a sudden I got that going, and, and I told when I did the – I'm going to have a conversation with you know, the principal and, and the dean of the school at Chaminade. I said, I think I'm in the process of maybe I'm doing some other little things. I don't know what how much of a full-time commitment I can give. So I, I would feel bad if you decided to hire me. So and then they go, nope, we'll work around you. Because one of the assistant coaches who was there before agreed to be on board with me. And we, we became great friends and so are. So here I am, head coach Chaminade, pretty quick out of the game, and boy, I loved it. You know, I love that being the head coach. I'm, you know, coaching third base, doing all the science, sending people home, holding on people, making <laughs> pitching changes, doing it all myself. It was great. You know, I'm coaching against people like Trevor Plouffe and, and a bunch of other major league players that over the years have played coached against, going down in these tournaments and going against Garrett Cole when he was at Barnes Lutheran, and all that. It was so it was so much fun. And I was back being so the competitive juices were there, but yet I'm still doing doing a radio show at, at you know late shift. I'm like just called a you know wrapping up all the baseball games from SoCal from the Angels and Dodgers, and that was you know about a half hour or 45 minutes away from my house. So I'm doing that at 10 o'clock to one in the morning, and then going to coaching. And lo and behold, I went into now doing you know and post-game shows for the Angels and Dodgers at Staples Center that point when they had a studio there. So, like, and I'm, I'm going down to downtown L.A. in my Chaminade High School baseball uniform, <laughs> carrying my suit on my back, trying to run in there. So it was, like, constant work, but everyone kept saying, you, you can't say no. So it was almost the same way as a player to anything they ask you to do. So I'm doing that, coaching. So this is, like, seven days a week. Felt like 10 hours a day, all this, but it's, in the end, it was the hard work and doing radio, learning how to do, you know, cut highlights, uh, talk to and set up, you know, calls with players like, you know, Johnny Bench or Jim Palmer or have Chris Berman on there. I did an interview with Larry King before, and I set that all that up basically almost all myself. So it was a learning experience. I learned all the, you know, the groundwork you need to do to do the stuff and. And then I'm at a, a holiday party from, you know, all this stuff for, to that point, Fox Sports. And, and our boss there goes, hey, would you be interested in doing 50 games as a color analyst with the Angels? And I'm like, I didn't, you know, obviously you can't even say, yeah, oh, let me think about it. It's like, okay. And I, you know, I agreed to it. But even before I got home to tell, tell my wife, she goes, so you're back to traveling again. And I'm like, you know, I said, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you can't, you can't say no. It's a great opportunity. And she goes, no, no, no. It's, I mean, it's. I've known you. That's been your life. I mean, you love the game and this and that. So she was in, in agreement with me, and and I uh, went from 50 games to 95 games the next year to the third year where I was doing them all. So, and here I am, 16 years later, doing something I absolutely love. My prep for these things and getting ready for games is almost feel like I'm getting ready for the pitcher game too. So you know, every time I do a game. You know, I know all the ins and outs. I make first guess. There jokes Ryan calls me Tony Romo of baseball. And I'm, you know, you're not going to be right all the time, but I, I, all the research and prep work I do, I always believe I have a good shot at figuring out what's going to happen before it even does, and I'm willing to stick my neck out for it. So I, I love what I'm doing right now. And it's if I hadn't accepted that trade to the Angels, how am I doing this? So there's always some, you know, somebody up there. Is guiding me in, in my thought in the right direction. But maybe it was my dad because my dad was going, been gone for 30 plus 31 years. Maybe he was up there saying, Hey, this is what you know, be cool for you to do. Cause we used to watch and listen to Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn back to Philly religiously. And I got to do an inning one time, my first year with Harry Callis. He came in when we were playing the Phillies and did an inning with us. I, I couldn't even talk. He goes, Mark, what are you doing? I go, Mr. Callis, you, you don't understand. I, I cannot talk right now because you are like <laughs> God to me. And he's just laughing. He goes, I know you for Ben Charter. And and the more he talked, the more I started laughing, the more I loosened up and had a good time with it. But it was like one of the coolest experiences ever for me to do an inning in our in our broadcast with him. It was it was incredible.
Well, as we speak, you have to get ready for a game, just like you said, uh, through all these different things and trials and tribulations and successes and hard work and everything else have been in family, raising a family. You're now a grandfather and uh, anybody who goes on your Twitter page can figure out all that stuff. But <laughs> anyway, it's been quite a ride, man, huh? Yeah, man, you know, Danny, it's like I, the thing It's you know, right now, like, being a grandfather is so amazing. I mean, it's like everything's, everything's going flying by like so fast. But uh, the bottom line is being around great people. And even when I'm in a social media world, especially Twitter world, where there's a lot of anger, I I, I do not get involved in it. I always, you know, everyone goes, why don't you ever put anything out like this or that way? I go, no, I'm, I'm going to put out what happened in a game. Got some, some good stuff that happened in a game. And I'm going to put out because I love Christmas, back Christmas and holidays, Halloween. And I'm never going to get caught up into that world because my dad told us three, me and my three brothers, one thing. And it's the only thing we all live by. And we all still joke about it, the same thing. He goes, boys, it takes no effort to be a good person, but it takes a lot of effort to be a bad person. And that's all he said to us one day. And, you, you know, he didn't have to explain it to us. We, you know, we all figured it out ourselves. He goes, you know, you're right. If you choose to be a bad person, you got to work at it. But a good person, it's easy to say hi to people, shake hands, you know, to say, hey, how's your day going, all these other things. It's real. I always feel it's really easy to be a good person. So that's what I try to do every day. Some days are harder, believe me. But uh, I always try to be as good a person as I can possibly be because I might make somebody smile one day or, and, and they'll never forget that. So I'm hoping that's the case I try to do every day. This podcast was made possible by our great sponsors like Easton Roofing presenting sponsor of Kansas City Profiles at the Danny Kling Scale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Easton Roofing, where integrity matters. We hope you enjoyed the latest Danny Kling Scale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Come back soon for something fresh and new. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.